Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow as we prep for the first week of the playoffs with six games over three days and a bunch of rematches. Only one game that we haven't seen already this year, and that is Niners-Cowboys. It's the fourth game of the week in the afternoon slot on Sunday. Everything else has already happened, at least once. And because we've got two intra-division matchups, we'll be seeing those for a third time. And we'll talk to Steve Tasker about one of those matchups in just a bit. Arguably the best special teams player of all time. He's been a one-man hype machine for Bill's Mafia in recent years, and I'm really eager to get his take on Bill's Patriots 3.0. We're also going to talk to Dave Damashek about his beloved Steelers from Pittsburgh crashing the party that so many people wanted the Chargers to go to instead. Is he taking names of the people that have disrespected his team? Or does he see where they're coming from and also see an uphill climb ahead for Roethlisberger and company this weekend? Roethlisberger, who, by the way, threw the ball 44 times last week for 244 yards. I will say this, though. I looked up the lowest dots in the league, average depth of target, just to see where Roethlisberger ranked, because I kind of thought he obviously has to be at the bottom. Um, and it, he was. It was roughly what I thought. He was the second lowest amongst eligible throwers at 7.1 average depth of target. Who was lower? I know that's what you're wondering, right? Uh, one guy lower. Jared Goff, 6.8. But the thing that I found interesting here do you know who of the remaining quarterbacks left in the playoffs was the next lowest after Roethlisberger? Not that much higher on the list than Ben, frankly. It was Patrick Mahomes, tied for 30th among eligible quarterbacks at 7.6 average depth of target for the entire season, tied with Sam Darnold and Andy Dalton. Other thing that surprised me looking at that list, Mac Jones. Where is he? Tied for 15th in the league with Kyler Murray. His A.8.3 longer than Dak, Aaron Rodgers, Tannehill, and Garoppolo. You know who was the highest amongst the remaining quarterbacks? And then I'll move on. I just, I know, a lot of talk about dot. I just found these things interesting, kind of. Jalen Hurts, 434 attempts, 9.3 average depth of target. Anyway, that actually takes me, Jalen Hurts, to one of the games that I'm most interested in watching this week, and that is the Eagles-Bucks. It's the second biggest spread of the weekend. Tampa favored by eight and a half, so I know some of you are wondering, like, why is this the game that you're interested in? Um, the issue here, Eagles do not have a win against a good team this year. My guess is that's, you know, what's driving the spread. They played the Niners and the Cowboys and the Chiefs and the Bucks and the Raiders and the Chargers and then the Cowboys again. They lost to all of them. So while they've been a much better team in the second half, the teams that they've played in the second half have been very unimpressive. Denver, New Orleans, New York, Washington, New York, the other New York, Washington again. Uh, they lost to the Giants. You guys, they lost to the Giants. So it's hard to know, but I have this feeling that they're going to make it close. And that is partially because the Bucs aren't at full strength. They are getting Levante David back, huge, 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 huge. Also getting Fournette back, but they're not going to have Godwin, and they won't have AB. And we found out Wednesday they probably won't have Cyril Grayson or Ronald Jones either. They're listed as doubtful. Jets gave Tampa 
everything they could handle two weeks ago. Carolina hung around through three quarters. So I don't think that these bucks are the same bucks that we've seen for the majority of the season. And I do think that the Eagles are better than they were when they played earlier this year also, when Philly kept it close, only lost by six. I think the question here is going to be whether Philly will be able to maintain the thing that's been its strength down the stretch, again, against less than stellar competition. Um, But they've been running the ball so well. Will they be able to do that against this very good Tampa run defense? I look at their game against the Saints, Philly's game against the Saints from earlier in the season, also a defense that was very good against the run. They gave up roughly the same number of rushing yards per game as Tampa. They're one slot lower than them in the run defense rankings. And Philly rushed for 242 yards against them. So I kind of think that they might be able to run successfully on Tampa. It's not a one-to-one comparison. I'm just, you know, looking for what I can look for here. You know, once they kind of turned things around and started the running ball like uh, running the ball like crazy and successfully the team on the schedule that appeared that is the easiest comp is the Saints from a defensive standpoint and they had tons of success against them. I kind of think that this game ends up being closer than most people are expecting and I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't end up as an upset. Another game that I'm really excited to watch, largely because of the upset potential, again, Raiders-Bengals on Saturday afternoon. There is something about this Raiders squad in these last few weeks that makes me super uncomfortable writing them off against a team that does appear to have better weaponry than they do. Vegas is playing hard. They're winning in the trenches. They're finally getting those downfield weapons involved more. Brian Edwards last week, Zay Jones the week before, a little Deshaun Jackson sprinkled in there. And I think that's been huge for them. In addition to the defense playing well, I can't say enough about what they did on that side of the ball against the Chargers. I've talked a lot about Herbert converting those fourth downs, but how about the defense that put him in those fourth and long situations over and over and over again? And while the Bengals offense is completely clicking right now, I feel like the Chargers matchup might have been the perfect one for Vegas to prepare for that. Key here, though. Las Vegas has to find a way to stop Mixon. He ran all over them last time, 123 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. He had more rushing attempts than Burrow actually had dropbacks. Bengals ended up winning that game handily. The final score was 32-13, but remember, it was closer than that for most of the game. There was a point in the fourth quarter when this score was 16-13. So I'm really excited to watch that one and see if the Raiders can give the Bengals a game. And if not... Do the Bengals look like they can make a run? Because the way that they have looked lately, they look like a team that can do some damage in the postseason. Raiders just kind of scare me. They feel like that wild card this year in the wild card round. Pun was not intended. As for the game that comes after that one on Saturday, it's the primetime game on Saturday in Buffalo. Let's get to Patriots Bills and our first guest, the great Steve Tasker, who, according to Jim Kelly, tweeted just a couple days ago that he should be in the Hall of Fame, one of the best special teams players of all time, who was also the Bills' legend of the game last week. He will be at the game this week, too, on the sidelines working for Westwood One. It is time now to break the huddle. Hello, let's go! Two on two on two, ready? All right, Pats Bills, part three, Saturday night in Buffalo. Two teams that ended the season very differently. Bills winning four straight, Patriots dropping three of four. They're going to be a road team in the wild card round for the first time in Belichick's career. How about that? And 
it will be cold, with a forecast right around zero, as Steve Tasker might say, be ready. It might be chilly. Love it. I need my cigar for that, though, right? Oh, I know. You you nailed that line, man. You are very, very intimidating in that video. Yeah, right. You are. You have like a mafioso kind of vibe. Like, come here, I dare you. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's it is a hard building to play in when the weather's bad. No question about it. It's going to be really, really cold this weekend. So it's it's going to be a factor. Uh, the only thing that's going to be the real factor is if it's windy and if it's wet. If it starts to rain or snow, which it'll snow, it's not going. It's too cold to rain. Uh, then it'll be a factor. The cold, I think, the guys can deal with a little better. It's the wind and the rain that really bother them, and they they've had their share of that this year. It won't be as windy as the first meeting, right? Like nothing no, crazy, no. just There's like no normal way. football, normal football uh, weather impact. How, how do you see it impacting this specific matchup, the weather that we are expecting? I think most guys will be able to handle the cold pretty well. Um, it, you know, New England practices and lives in it, so do the Bills. Uh, they'll have their gear together. And I think that's the big thing. If you go in having a plan of what you're going to wear and, and the gloves and the sock outfit you've got and the head covering, you know, the stuff under the helmet, uh, plus the, you know, the heated benches and stuff like that, if you have a plan for that, then you can kind of say, okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be all right. And then you can start thinking about the game again. But you've seen a lot of teams over the years come in to these cold weather venues. You know, you get a team like Vegas from the desert or L.A., uh, Miami, Tampa, you know, the, you know, the warm weather teams, Arizona. They, they spend a lot of time thinking about it because it is a factor. Uh, but if you've got a plan and you feel good about it and you've been living it and like in Buffalo, you live in it. So you kind of think, OK, I, I get it. Uh, it's not a distraction and it helps you as the home team or as a team that's used to it. You know, you mentioned Vegas and obviously that's a narrative that travels with Derek Carr and the fact that he struggles in cold weather games. Weirdly. Josh Allen has also not done particularly well. He has not been at his best when it is really cold. According to Matthew Fairburn of the athletic, his numbers when it's 31 or below 50% completion, 166 yards passing on average, six touchdowns, seven interceptions. Why do you think it affects him the way that it has in the past? Do you expect that to be an issue in this game? I'll say this. I think some of it um, doesn't have as much to do with the cold as it does to do with the conditions they play in in Buffalo. And when it's windy, he struggles. Um, I mean, everybody does. Um, and I'll give you an idea. The last week 18 game, the Bills against the Jets this last week, 34 of the 37 points scored in the game were going the same direction. Um, so playing in Buffalo will do that to you. Uh, I don't think anybody gives it a second thought that Josh has something going on with cold weather. I think it's I think it's other factors as well. The opponents, I think it has to do with uh, the guys around him a little bit. Um, but maybe no other team in the league has a higher percentage of their offense run through one guy than Buffalo has running through Josh Allen. So it's important for him to feel comfortable. And I think Brian Dayball and Sean McDermott know the pluses and minuses that Josh has in the cold weather. And, and they'll take some steps to try and alleviate it. But you're right. I, I think the cold weather affects everybody. But when it affects your most important player, it's a bigger slice out of the pie. And, and that's a concern for Buffalo, I think. 
Do you think that they have done a better job in recent weeks of trying to take some of the responsibility off of Josh Allen's shoulder? There were there were a couple of weeks there where it looked like he was the offense, right? He was the running game. They weren't using the running backs. More recently, it feels like they're using Devin Singletary in ways that are beneficial and they've kind of zeroed in on him rather than going back and forth between the various running backs there. Yeah, I think Devin Singletary's kind of gripped the number one running back spot, no question, and they've been more productive because of it. Some of it has been the fact that they just decided in a couple of these games they're going to do it. In the second half of the Atlanta game, Josh had thrown three interceptions um, and was struggling. They said, listen, we're not going to do it. This team can't beat us. We're going to run it and just win this game. And they included Josh into the running game as well. But Devin Singletary took it over and, and played extremely well. It was a game, and I think that's indicative of where they think they're at right now. Uh, their offensive line, for the first time in the last month, has started to solidify. In the in the New England game in Foxborough late in the year, they got in, they they had their guys available, but some of them were coming off the injuries injury list, and some of them were coming off the COVID list. So they had kind of a hodgepodge put together of an offensive line. And of course, early in the in the first half and early in the second quarter, an injury happens. And I was like, OK, now they had to throw these guys in. And since they threw those guys in, they caught a little bit of lightning in a bottle. They've not they haven't been dominant, dominant, but they have been very consistent. and They've played better. Uh, and it's been they haven't had the same offensive line for three weeks until these last three weeks. So it has been a, a big part of the consistency that they've started to show up front, and it's, it's shown up in the running game more so than it has even in Josh's production. So, yeah, I think the offensive line has been a difference because for the first time in this last month, they've had the same five guys for three weeks in a row. Yeah, and the O-line, obviously, just massively important. Nobody really talks about O-line play, but the battle in the trenches, especially at this time of the year, especially going up against the kind of defenses that we're going to see in this game, two of the best defenses in the NFL, number one and two in scoring defenses is the first time ever that those two teams have faced one another in the wild card round. When you look at these two defenses, uh, how are they built similarly? How are they built differently? How are they built for this particular matchup? Well, it's interesting because the Bills defensively have kind of come on the last, oh, the last four weeks. The Bills have led the league in sacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has not been their hallmark over the course of this season. They've been okay, but they haven't been they haven't been knocking it out of the park. And the playing last the Jets weeks, will help in that department. That's but... true. The Jets and the Falcons. Yeah. You know, so you know you can take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but that's made them look differently, and that's really the Jets is what really put them into the number one spot. Otherwise, it'd be the Patriots. So you could think about this: the two defenses kind of being a wash. Um, I think it's going to come down to the players that are available. The Bills are as healthy as any team in the playoffs right now. They have virtually nobody that they're worried about showing up. The Patriots are a little thin in the back end. Uh, COVID and some injuries have put them in a spot where they're down the list a little bit at their cornerback spot. Maybe a factor, maybe not, depending on how well Josh Allen can take advantage of it. But the Patriots' defense and their scheme and their players – are good enough to overcome that. They scheme and they execute game plans better than any team in the league. We've always seen that. And it's up to the Bills to use their talent advantage to their benefit and and exploit those matchups if they can do it. And I'm sure the Patriots are going to have a different game plan than they did. They didn't blitz Josh Allen a single time in Foxborough earlier. And Josh put the cape on and turned into Superman and made right, him pay right. the price. The Bills actually really handed it to the Patriots in that Foxborough matchup. They had two drop touchdown passes. 
and they had a third touchdown a third touchdown called back on one of those drops as well um, and then they won by 11 or 12 points in that game so they still won that game going away the Patriots are going to have to do something I think way different than they did in Foxborough to beat the Bills this time now they may count on the conditions to help them and they should but I don't think we're going to see Josh Allen not blitz at all uh, against the Patriots this week uh, defenses are statistically very close but the matchups are very different Mac, totally. I, think would, I think the Bills would love to put the ball in the hands of Mac Jones and the Patriots don't want Josh Allen anywhere near it. A hundred percent. So the Bill Belichick thing that we always talk about, he takes away your best player. The best player here is obviously Josh Allen. You think that the way that they counteract that this time is dial up the blitz more frequently? I think they got to get the ball out of his hand. Um, maybe they invite the Bills to run the football. You know, but maybe, that could be Josh. It could be. It could be. Uh, maybe they'll invite them to do that. Maybe they'll put more pressure on Josh, although Josh has been as good, if not better, than any other quarterback in the league under pressure. He's played extremely well because of his athleticism and his ability to extend plays. And And the Patriots, I don't think, have the depth in their back end of their defense to live up to Josh Allen making the play a 10-second play rather than a 2.5-second play. Um, if his, if he, if you're blitzing him and he can do that, you're in deep trouble. If he gets out of the pocket, um, it's a re I, I think this game is fascinating because it's the third meeting between these two teams. Both games have gone one way and the other. And I, the, the coaching staffs for me, for both these clubs take center stage. What are the tactics they're going to use to take away the best players? Uh, particularly when one team's got this guy who, you know, comes out of the phone booth with the shirt off, you know? I mean, this guy's Superman once in a while. And the Patriots have such, you know, they have such faith in a young quarterback to just do what he's supposed to do. Um, and their defense is so, so solid. I think it's a fascinating matchup. And I think watching how these teams game plan for each other is maybe the most fascinating part of it all. You obviously have a lot of experience in the postseason, went to the playoffs eight times in your uh, 12 years with the Bills, went to the Super Bowl four times. Things took a turn for Buffalo after that. As someone who knows what it takes, do you see those things that are necessary to have playoff success in this year's Bills squad? Yeah, very much. They, they plowed through a really tough schedule last year in the regular season. Very difficult schedule. The AFC West, the NFC West, uh, they went 13-3 and three against those clubs. Uh, they played it really well and plowed through the playoffs. Tough game against New the Indianapolis Colts, and then a really tough game against the Baltimore Ravens, and then going to Kansas City and losing to that team. They learned a lot about what it takes to go deep in the playoffs. They learned about what's, what's important and what's not important. Um, I think that's as important as anything as well. So I think the, the leadership and the core guys are still there. And they still have a really solid identity, but I think they're more flexible this year in the ways they can win games than they were a year ago. Their defense is much, much better this year than it was a year ago. And their run game is, a, particularly at this point in the regular season and going into the playoffs, is a much bigger factor their opponents to deal with than it was a year ago. So those two things, in addition to Josh Allen being able and having the talent on the edges of the offense, I think those two things, the defense and the run game, give this team along with the knowledge they learned last year and the hard lessons, I think it gives them a real edge. And I think they, they're in a really good spot headed into the playoffs. 
It's funny. I I feel like particularly in this fantasy football driven culture of football that we now exist in, I feel like the fact that the defense is so good is something that doesn't get talked about as much. We've talked a lot this year about the roller coaster that all of the various quarterbacks have been at the top and some of the best teams in the NFL and the fact that they haven't just been consistently good throughout uh, the season. I think the interesting thing about the Bills is that, you know, the Bucks and the Chiefs and the Cowboys and all these other te- uh, the Rams and Matthew Stafford, everybody's kind of in the same boat in that department. But you said something interesting about last year uh, or uh, the game against the Chiefs and the fact that they learned what's important and what's not important. What do you what do you mean by that? What fits into those two categories? I mean, one of the things you've got to do with the Chiefs is keep a lid on it. Um if they want to dink and dunk it, if you want to make them throw the short passes and keep them off the big play chart, you know, you can't give up explosive plays to the Chiefs um, because you, know, you go down, you score a touchdown, and on three plays later, you know, 20 seconds of game time later, they're in your own end zone. You know, they're, they score again. So you really have to play a two-deep safety kind of concept or maybe even a three-deep look against their offense. Um, and then you have to take it, your, make your best guess against the guy they're going to go to this time. You have to make Pat Mahomes and, you know, those finger quotes, the others beat you. You have to have, you have to, you know, Pringle's got to beat you or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's got to beat you. But if you're going to let, if you're going to let um, Tyreek Hill Hill and George and Travis Kelsey beat you, you kind of get what you ask for. Um, But if you can get the Chiefs to depend on guys who aren't Travis Kelsey and aren't Tyreek Hill, then you maybe you have a chance. And I think that's what you learn from playing those guys now. And you got to do it maybe for 60 minutes and overtime. It's a long day. It is a really long day trying to keep both those guys off the score sheet. Uh, but that's what you're looking at with a team as talented as the Chiefs. What's it going to be like, this environment there in Buffalo for this game, from a fan standpoint, stadium? It's, I think you'll be able to feel the angst of the Bills fans in the stadium. Um, it's the first home game in the playoffs for a couple of decades for this crowd because there was only 6,500 people in the stands last year for two home games in the playoffs. This time it's full, and there's going to be thousands and thousands of people who've never seen it. And I think playing the exact team that they're playing in the Patriots who beat the Bills every single game for 20 years, uh, there's a there's going to be a lot of emotion in a crowd like this. So anything the Bills do, if the Bills get up early on this Patriot team, the lid will come off the place really quick. And I think it's something that, that the Patriots will probably consider. They need this to be a close game. They can't let this crowd start to dictate what say and hear on the field. Uh, now, they'll do that anyway at times. But if the Bills get up on the Patriots, the crowd will absolutely start to control the the emotion of the game. Um, I don't think the Patriots can let that happen. This is there's going to be a lot, a, a couple of decades of pent up emotion in the crowd this weekend, and it's it's you're going to be able to see on the broadcast and hear it on the broadcast. Well, and you've done your part to get them hyped, man. We referenced the might be chilly video from last year, which went over like gangbusters and inspired T-shirts and all kinds of stuff like that. I saw this year's unfinished business video that you and Daryl Talley put out. And I tell you what, I was ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, (laughs) um, yeah. 
I've signed more pictures with me with a cigar than I have football cards, you know? Uh, so <laughs> You and Burrow, huh? Right, exactly. So, I mean, I've, I've signed more cigar pictures and with that hat, black hat that I wear in those videos as well. I've signed more of those than I have anything football related uh, over the last two years. People love it. They get up on it. They get up for it. It's been fun. Um, and this, you know, it, because of the team is why it's so successful. It has nothing to do with me or Daryl or any of these guys. It's, it's about Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, and Hoyer and Hyde back there. Um, it's a fun team to be a part of for this, for this fan base. It's been, a, it's been an enormously refreshing drink of water after a long dry spell. So, and that's still going on. Uh, it's a good team. They're sitting right where they want to be. Um, and heaven forbid any, if they're disappointed this weekend in the way this game turns out, it'll be a long, dark off season. You are going to be working the sidelines for this one for Westwood one. How do you balance, you know, the professionalism required for that and your clear and obvious investment in one team being successful? Yeah, once once you put the live mic up, it's pretty easy to go down the road. I'm, I I did it for a long time with CBS Sports. Um, when you go down the middle, you know that every time there's a good play or a bad play, there's a good or a bad on the other side of it. Um, and I've and I've got enough respect for Bill Belichick and the Patriots and what they've done to be able to give them the respect they deserve. Um, I'm, you know, in, in my heart, of course, I'm a fanboy for for the Bills and the, the the city that I live in and work in. But also, I know too, particularly working in radio every day, there's a level of there's a level of a calm and the ability to be objective uh, that I, I try to cultivate. Uh, of course, when something good happens, you got to comment on it. And if it's for the Bills, everybody says I'm being a homer. And if it's for the Patriots, you know, I've betrayed everything that I know and love. Right? So it's a fine line to walk. Uh, I don't have a problem doing it uh, because I've. I've been a part of so many good and bad teams and watched so much football over my, my career that, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I do have to be, I do have to think about what I'm going to say. No question about it. Uh, because I do have some investment in that. I do have a little skin in this game, but it won't be a problem. And, and there's no way anything I can do or ever say or find out that will tip the competitive balance. So, I'll be able to say, speak my mind and, and speak the truth if I, if I see what's happening. Steve, I, uh, I know a lot of people don't understand how you could possibly do that. Having been in that position myself, it's crazy how much easier, you know, it, it is to do it than you would think. Like, right. you know, you're, you're talking to professionals. You got Bill Belichick there. You have respect for him. Obviously, you're going to play it straight up and say what you see. I really appreciate your time. Have fun this weekend. Yeah, I, I, I heard it might be chilly, so stay warm. Listen, I've I've got my gear all lined up. I'm starting to think if I get my mind around how many layers I've got to wear, you know, my headgear, handgear. But listen, here's Lindsay. Here you got to know this: if you ever come up here and you got to do this, your hands and your head and your feet are warm. The rest is gravy. It's all easy. Is that hand warmers? Do you have like a constant supply then, of those? Yes, yes, those hand warmers work, and they also have them that you stick in your feet too. They stick to the bottom of your feet. Uh, on the outside of your socks, you can do that. Um, if your hands and feet and your head are warm, you're gold. Can you get those to Josh Allen? I heard his toes go numb. Listen, they've got three 300 people in the building that are trying to get that guy to game time warm and safe and dry. So he's, he doesn't need me. <laughs> he's well taken care of. Thank you yes, so much, Steve. All right, Lindsay.
Great stuff from Steve, and you can follow him on Twitter at SteveTasker89. Another game that's a divisional rematch this week is Cardinals-Rams, a game I think I might actually be going to on Monday night, so that should be fun. Road team won each of the first two games here, so that would be the Cardinals this time if that pattern continues. Story of the matchup so far this season was turnovers. Frankly, Rams turned it over two times in week four in the first meeting, and they lost. Cardinals turned it over two times in week 14, and they lost that one. And remember, that was the game that Los Angeles did not have Jalen Ramsey for in prime time because of COVID. So Arizona threw on them a ton, very successfully, which was a very different approach than they took in their first meeting when they ran for 216 yards on Los Angeles. Very different momentum situations here. Arizona having dropped five of their last eight games, LA having won five of six. I think the Arizona backfield situation is huge. Are they going to have Chase Edmonds and James Conner? Are they going to be healthy? Will they be effective? Because if not, I don't know if I see the Cardinals matching up. Because even if they do have those guys, I kind of think the Rams are the better team so long as they can avoid turning the ball over, which is obviously a very big if lately, particularly for Matthew Stafford. So I think I'm leaning Rams in that game. Niners-Cowboys is interesting. I don't really know what to make of that one, and I don't have a strong take on it either. Niners playing so physically I think Dallas is the better team, top to bottom, but I don't know if I can count on them to show up and play like it. Uh, I think I do have a better idea of what to expect in the primetime game on Sunday night, Steelers-Chiefs, and it's not necessarily what my next guest is hoping for. Dave Damashek joining us after this. Hey everyone, it's Howard Bender from the Andy Up Podcast. Every weekday, Adam Ronis and I serve you up the picks, plays, and fantasy information needed to win your bets. You know, this isn't just your average sports betting show, though, for one very good reason. We won't tell you what to do unless we've already done it ourselves. That's right. We put our money where our mouths are, so we're just as invested in each bet as you are. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. As for the Steelers and Chiefs, it's the most lopsided matchup of the week. According to Vegas, KC favored by 12 and a half at home and Ben Roethlisberger's jumping all over that. His quote on Wednesday, we don't have a chance, so let's just go in and play and have fun. And that, of course, is a sentiment that my friend and former colleague at NFL Media, Dave Damashek, host of the Minus Three Extra Points and Dave of Thunder podcasts, also a noted Steelers fan, highly approves of this Ben Roethlisberger message. Uh, I assume that with your tongue firmly planted in your cheek. Lindsay, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's old news now that, that, I mean, it's been at least a quarter century since any team won a championship in a sport of note when the winning locker room, someone in there didn't say no one outside the locker room believed in us, but oh, we just leaned on each other. Roethlisberger has taken it to a whole new level. No one inside the locker room believes Nobody. in this team either. It's the greatest. And I, I, I just, I can't get over how funny the upset is around the rest of football America that people are talking about. I don't know if you've been following the, the, some of the media outtakes, but like Rex Ryan said the other day that Brandon Staley robbed us all of getting to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs. And instead now we're stuck with Roethlisberger. I think it's hysterical. I love how upset everybody is about it. And uh, I'm all set for Sunday night. 
I may or may not kind of be in that sad camp that I don't get to watch Justin Herbert <laughs> in the postseason. <laughs> That's why it's so delicious. I'm not, right? You just hate that the rest of us are sad about watching your team and Ben Roethlisberger throw five yards 50 <laughs> times. <laughs> Listen, I, I, think, I love Justin Herbert. And in fact, I liked this Chargers team so much that I've been saying for eight months at least that I thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl. So obviously I'm a little disappointed on that front spiritually and from a gambling perspective, because <laughs> I really was all in on these chargers. Yeah. And I do think before we go into the postseason, for real, the revelatory historic performance by Justin Herbert and that offense, they had the ball, their last three possessions of the season, all of which required them to score or else the season is over. Herbert converted three fourth and tens, a fourth and 21, a fourth and nine, a fourth and six. I mean, people, you know, six prisoner of the straight. moment, how do, never, there, there cannot be, I'm sure somebody no. will dig up the numbers and disprove it, but feels like that could not have ever happened in pro football history before. And it still wasn't enough. And everybody's so upset that the tie and that the Steelers somehow pulled it out and all. And of course, None of the day, rest of the day matters at all. If the Jags just do what we expect them to do, which is fall on their face against the Colts. What a crazy, inexplicable last uh, regular season. day! Were you like spending that whole game taking names on Twitter of people that were your new arch enemies that were rooting for the tie? Or how, how did you experience that? Because I got to tell you, I was tweeting and I was being careful because I like didn't want to offend Steelers fans, even though I was kind of blatantly rooting for them to get ousted. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't believe that it wound up in the place that it has with the Steelers in in uh, in an actual playoff game. I mean, going into the Browns game, you know, the ESPN pregame and you know it was the tip of the iceberg everybody understood this is it like Roethlisberger's yep. playing his last home game and then he'll fly off to Charm City um to play the Ravens one last time and then that will be that and it was a it was complete the, the circle was complete against the Browns a year removed from after the game against the Browns in January um like I say a year ago Roethlisberger was there crying on that field and one year later he is there crying on that same field except these tears were happy ones and it felt it felt satisfying and I really could have I, I in fact did talk myself into um watching the Jags are actually winning this game I mean I I ruminated about the possibility what if we get to halftime on Sunday and the Jags are in the game. Well, what will the emotions be then? And what they were, were like, Oh geez, they're going to blow. Cause now the Steelers are, they're losing to the Ravens and the Jags are going to pull off the impossible and the Steelers are going to miss the playoffs anyway. Cause they, <laughs> cause they lose to the, a bunch of backups in Baltimore, but that last the five minutes to go in regulation, Roethlisberger lying in winter, one last drive. Can he do it? And he, and, and, and he did it. And it was satisfying. And if they didn't make the playoffs, I would have been fine with it. Kind of, sort of. That's kind of how I feel like you kind of had your moment, right? Like how right. many moments are we going to have? Is he going to go high five everybody else in the crowd? In Kansas City, if they lose at Arrowhead, is he going to go find the Steelers section? Like, I don't know. It just continues to like 
that that primetime game felt like that was our moment. Collectively, everybody was saying goodbye to Ben Roethlisberger, and now he won't go away. <laughs> Which it it felt like so on brand. It felt like for him and everybody else on the Steelers last week leading up to it, it was understood like it's an exhibition. We're just going to go out there. We're going to yeah. play the we'll play the Ravens, but that's a wrap. But what a what a what an honor it was to get to play alongside one of the greats. In the Super Bowl era, all that kind of stuff. Nobody shot. But what it kind of should indicate is as much as I laugh, and of course the the Chiefs should steamroll the Steelers. We just saw it. I I would be able to um probably talk myself into maybe we have a chance, maybe we could go in okay, there. What what does that look like? What does that look like? We just saw three weeks ago. I, if I if that recent evidence weren't available. I would probably be in a little bit of a different headspace, but they destroy the, the chief. Oh, you're saying you can't them. even go there. You're not even creating a path in your brain. Well, here's their chance. Lindsay. Okay. There is, as you may have heard me talk about one or a million times previously, <laughs> the curse of Sposta. <laughs> when you are the team, when you are the team that is supposed to do it, that is a lot of extra weight on your shoulders. And it, in fact, at home is even worse because if there is any reason to start doubting the team, uh oh, are we really in trouble here? You're better off to be on the road because the home crowd starts to get a nervous energy. And I've talked to a lot of pro football players about this experience and on good and bad side of the equation. And they say it absolutely, when those tens of thousands of fans, who are expecting a victory because your team's supposed to get it, that nervous energy permeates its way down to both sidelines. The, the, uh, the underdog team is imbued with new confidence and, and the, the favored team suddenly starts to get tight. And I think if, especially given the recent evidence, like I say, when the Chiefs annihilated Pittsburgh in the exact same spot, if it isn't tracking that way early, if it gets to mid-second quarter and it's like, this game's completely different than the last one. By this time, we, we you know, the game was over. It was a three-touchdown uh, game by this point. Last time, just last month, and now they're right in this game. What's going on? And T.J. Watt's proving to be a handful, and we can't slow down Najee Harris and all that. They will get nervous because they aren't just supposed to win this game. They're supposed to win by blowout. Look at the point spread. Look at the trajectory of the last three years of this Chiefs team. This is it. As we say, the book was closed on Roethlisberger's pro career, but it's cracked open just a little bit right now. And I love it. And I love where his head is. We don't have a chance. We're just going to go have some fun. Like if for some reason the Steelers defense can actually stop Clyde Edwards, Alaire out of the gate or Daryl Williams or whoever it is that's running the ball. It's like, what, 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 what's happening here? This isn't supposed to happen over mm -hmm. under on longest pass attempt. Should we do pass attempt or completed pass for Ben Roethlisberger? Boy, I will say he really, you know, I felt like uh, that there was a, a, a little stretch there in the middle to back half of the middle chunk of the season. If you look at it in, 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 uh, in three periods, kind of, I thought he actually was playing better than he was getting credit for. There were, I don't mean the full 60 minutes, but there were the, the visits to the chargers and the Vikings and, 
you know, big spot against the Cleveland in Cleveland and pulling it out and, you know, big, big spot fourth quarter drives against Baltimore where I thought he's actually, you know, uh, you can see that the arm is still there. It's just the legs. But I think he took a few really nasty shots in Minnesota. And from that point forward, he kind of, you could, it felt to me like he was sort of philosophically or, or spiritually or whatever, kind of thinking like, all right, that, that's it. It's been a nice career here, but let's not, let, let's not take any more shots like this anymore. And that's sort of, um, I think that what it comes down to is can the Steelers, this is what it is. I'm pretty rudimentary stuff in the 21st century started by Belichick and all the teams that go on to win Super Bowls or make long um, playoff uh, pushes seem to have in common is the ability to turn you over. You don't, you don't dominate anybody on defense. It, it, that the, the waxing about uh, defense wins championships doesn't truly exist in the 21st century. What it's about is can you give your offense one or three more possessions over the course of 60 minutes? They do happen, the Steelers, when things are going right with Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt and uh, Cam Hayward on down. They do sometimes have a knack for, for, um, for being able to create some turnovers, and that, that's, their, that's their puncher's chance. Is, is that and, and Mahomes has been doing right, that this right. year. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, I, there isn't much of a case that that Pittsburgh should be able to hang with Casey, but but I just gave it to you uh, anyway. So, well, I think that this will be an enjoyable way for a fan to watch a postseason game or run like full on. No one. I don't even have any expectation here. Like we're playing with house money all the way. Whatever happens that's positive is good and will surprise me. I feel like that's a nice mental health space for you to be in for the next few days. It is. It is so right. And I really do. I, I, I find myself, I'm not comfortable with being a glass half full guy, but I feel like the cynicism that plagues our society, not just in sports, but in general, um, requires that I, I, I find uh, the, the, the bright side of things. And I really do. If you set yourself up as a fan of any team, that it's a failure of a season if we don't win the Lombardi, well, then you're going to be disappointed the vast majority of the time, even if you're a Patriots fan. Um, and, you know, some of the, I, I was kind of reeling through people like, Dude, Dave, a lot of Pittsburghers hit me up on social media and otherwise, and they're like, Dave, that's the standard for you now. Tomlin gets him over 500 and that's good enough for you. And I said, didn't say anything about Is that good your enough. Pittsburgh accent? Is that it? Your, that's your Yenzer accent? Mrs. Rhodes, that's how we talk over there down on the banks of the three, uh, the three rivers in Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the best are, you know, sometimes it doesn't end in a championship. And uh, the, the, the number one example I can give you, and it's not just from a Steelers fan point of view, but for fans anywhere, people have seem to have no idea that this is the case in, in 2022. Now, after the Immaculate Reception, the most iconic play in pro football history, maybe in American sports history or, or yeah. on the short list, at least the week after that, the Steelers lost. I mean, I like the idea that like every moment has to be associated with championship or bust. Again, like I say, we'll just set you up for, for grim disappointment. At, like you just said, I'm going into this 
with a breezy devil may care attitude. I um, we shouldn't be playing in this game. What, what's the point of even uh, making the time and ever Al Michaels has to get on a plane, fly halfway across the country. They're going to ship all those cameras and everything. What's the <laughs> point? It's over. It's over right now. What are we even doing that for? But since they're going to go through with it, we may as well watch it and see how it turns. will most Steelers fans share your attitude. Do you think that the people that, that head to Arrowhead this weekend will be like, hello, glorious afternoon. Good to see you chiefs fans. Congratulations on a good season to this point. <laughs> I I kind of hope so. I hope people aren't that delusional. We all that would, that would drive Chiefs fans crazy, right? Like just overt friendliness. That would actually almost be like that would be a kill them with kindness. That would be <laughs> in the stands and Mahomes throws an early touchdown pass. Well done, Dave Mahomes. That day, that Dave was Mahomes is pretty good, Dave. Gonna be a long day for us, huh? In fact, I want the play. Forget us. I want the players doing that. I want. I want like Cam Hayward after they're like shaking. I got to shake your hand, Whoa. Patrick. That was really well done. Yeah, nice. <laughs> this is a new approach. More, more of that is- for us all day. Take it easy on us, would you? Fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you get in their heads completely. I think this is the new strategy. We should get this straight to Tomlin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe me. I think they're ahead of us already. <laughs> like <I> said, <laughs> when the starting quarterback says, when the, the the team's QB says, like, I mean, look, we're we're out of fourteen playoff teams. We're obviously fourteenth, where we're twenty point underdog. <laughs> Let's just go have some fun. I mean, what, 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 no, you know, we don't have a shot over there. Oh, they they're playing four D chess roads. They're playing four D chess on the banks of the three rivers right now. I love oh. it. Dave, I envy you. You get all of the perks of being in the postseason without any of the downside of stress that comes along with it. I hope you enjoy this weekend. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, well, thank you. And I thank you as a USC person for for uh, Keaton Slovis, or as, it, or as he's called already on the banks of the Three Rivers. Key Don Slovis, dude, that dude's going to be good, dude. Kenny Pickett was good, but this Key Don, wait, it's Key Don. Whatever his name is, dude, I like him. Congratulations on the new era for USC as well. I'm still reeling in my glory and hoping that it goes where I fully expect it to go. I'm the opposite of you. I'm the person that's like, if we don't win a championship, it's a failure. <laughs> don't do it to yourself. Like, hey, maybe we can make a bowl game this year. See, then any, anything beyond that will be gravy and you'll you'll be in the catbird seat like I am right now. Love me some Damashek, and you can find him there on Twitter, at Damashek. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap Podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, at Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, also. Well, I hope you guys enjoy the games. Hope it goes the way that you're hoping. And I hope that you'll join us again on Monday to recap how it all goes down. We'll see you then. Sirius XM Podcasts.